You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome, friends, to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. This is not Frank Gill. He is out for today. I'm sure doing some kind of intense gospel work in the city of Milwaukee, something like that. But I'm Jeff. I'm here in Baltimore with my friends across the country. Down in South Carolina, we got Delmar Pete. Hello. In two different spots in Florida, but not too far away from each other. Both on the West Coast. Both north of Tampa-ish. Andrew Larson. I mean, I'm more due west of Tampa. Yeah. We'll take it. As I said it, it, I thought, that's wrong, but I'm going for it. And Timothy Miller. Definitely north. And uh, hey... (laughs) All my Duval fans out there, you know what it is. Duval. You had a great day yesterday. The Bucks had a great night. Last night it was a Sunday night game, right? It was uh, the 425 p.m. game. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the Ravens play tonight. So uh, there's a large, like, 4,000-member Facebook group that's, like, my zip code. And so there's all kinds of posts about Hmm. uh, people posting hashtag caw because, you know, Ravens make that sound. So I guess that's a hashtag. I think it's kind of lame, honestly. But uh, that it is what it is. So, you know, we another weekend in the books, another Sunday in the books. How was your past week? It was good. We we do a pancakes in the park event. Really, February. I'm sorry. What, what month is this? Not February. November. I got confused. I'm Although tired, February boys. is an important month for us here in the podcast. It, it is. We'll, we'll get to that. I think that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of the Practically Pastoring Conference. Yes. November is a big month for us because we have lots of outreach events that we do um, with the city of Safety Harbor. So we had pancakes in the park on Saturday morning where our men's Bible study group goes out and makes pancakes in one of the different city parks. And this weekend, the city had asked us to to cook up at – we've got a – it's called Folly Farm. It's a nature preserve park. They had a camp out for different families on Friday night. So the families woke up and our church was out there feeding them. So that was a really cool event. Also pancakes? And it, yeah. And nice. so it was it was really cool because we didn't have to advertise it or any of that stuff. The city took care of all of that. We just kind of got to show up and minister. And then with the daylight savings time or whatever it was, we showed up at church and I think, you know, nine – 9.50, I walked back to set something up in one of the other rooms and came back into the worship center at, you know, 3 till 10, and suddenly it was just packed. We had people everywhere, one of the four or five biggest Sundays in the five-plus years that I've been here. So that was encouraging to to see that many faces in the room and to see the parking lot that dysfunctional. Nice. Andrew, before we move on, I have to let you know this about Pancake Breakfast. Did you know... Uh, I think the brand is called is pronounced Krusty's. You know that with a K. You know yeah, that yeah. brand. They will actually like reimburse you if you do what uh, pancake uh, fundraisers for all the pancake uh, batter, like the the powder. Next time you buy one of the bags, I usually get the gigantic bags at like yeah, yeah, Costco. Yeah, the big bag at Sam's. Yeah, the, yeah, the, or the, Sam's the, on the, the back of bags. it. Read the back of it, and they'll it says they will reimburse you for all that. Well, maybe for, it's because uh, it's like $9 for enough pancake mix to make 8,000 pancakes. I mean, look, it's not that big of a deal, but I just thought, every, hey, hey, you might want to know. You can put them down as a sponsor to your event. Yeah. If you're and doing you, that. You hey. know what? Yeah. You, and you can afford the syrup with the money you saved on the powder. That's, you know what I'm that's very true. That's smart, Jeff. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. I'm here to solve problems. 
That's Tim, the most practical advice I've gotten all week. Very yeah. practical. <laughs> Uh, we had we had a great Sunday. Uh, it's just funny how this has worked out over the years with Andrew and I. But typically, when when Andrew's kind of having a, a bigger attended Sunday, so do we at Lakeview. I, I don't know if just the stars align in the state of Florida on those Sundays, or hey, it was you know a fall back morning and everyone was just kind of wide awake and, and ready to go to fall church. Fall back plus the communion. stars align. You're supposed to say God's providence. Come on, dude. That's the one. God okay. God on. providentially aligned the stars. Gotcha. <laughs> Got it. It was the 9:30 service that was almost, you know, worthy of bringing out extra chairs to the point of next week I might have to say, "Hey guys, love that you all enjoy the 9:30 service, but we have one at 11 o'clock too that could probably use uh, your help if you would be willing to come to the 11 o'clock." So we might be at that point, which is kind of cool. It was the definitely the highest non-holiday uh, weekend attended Sunday since I've been lead pastor at Lakeview. So that was it was a two cool services, Sunday. right? Yep. Yep. Nine thirty and eleven. Have to go to three, or you got <clears throat> enough space that if people we shift? have room at the eleven, so that's okay. that's the ask. That's probably going to be next, and it might happen next week if this happens again because we did just about run out of chairs at the nine thirty. So it'll be hey, if you could come to the eleven, that would really help out a ton. So that is nice. it that's hard. Probably what's next? Preaching is it hard preaching at the second service when the room is you know fifty percent of what it was oh, in yes. the early service. The let down. It's 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 such it's a different. different vibe. It's so yeah. weird because the first service there's energy and everyone's into it and people laugh at your jokes. And in second service, you like you glance up and around the room when you said the same thing you said in first service. And you're like, man, people laughed last time or people were like engaged at that point in the sermon. And this time it's like, yeah. is it black that could faces? be just the difference in the congregants who show up? Because I've preached to two sure. full rooms back to back, and one of them's like a Presbyterian church, and the other one's like a Pentecostal. It's just different. <laughs> People okay, go well, to yeah. <laughs> that, those would be very wildly different congregations. I agree. Yes. <laughs> Delmar, how about you? Yeah, man. I don't know if the South caught a bug, but yesterday was an awesome day for us as well. We uh, we had pancakes for our kids, Andrew. So, and our kids' ministry. Hey, did uh, you know that you can look on the back of that pancake bag <laughs> and you can actually contact you can the company? Save $6. And they could be a sponsor, and then yeah, no, we we told on um, all the kids, anybody working with kids ministry could come in their pajamas. So that was kind of cool, you know, because we did get our extra hour of sleep. Which I don't know if you guys were responsible and used that for rest, or if you guys were pragmatic and used that for literally anything else. But uh, it was cool because all the kids showed up. We had bacon, sausage, pancakes, that whole deal, and then the worship service was just. It, I don't know how to put it. It was kind of like you, Tim. It was intense. There was a lot of new people. There were We used up all the chairs, and then we had to go take all the chairs out the student room and bring all those chairs in. And right now, our conversation at church is, do we go to two services, which there is a... There's a there's a joy about that, but if you've ever been in that situation, it's a, it's a double edged sword because you also don't want to become the thing. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to become the thing where it's like, oh, we got two, let's let's max out these two services, and let's we don't want to become that. So I really am grateful for my church's hesitancy on that. But yesterday was one of those days where it's like, oh, it's kind of looking like this might have to be a thing, fellas. So um, and then last night for the student services, our students built their own fire pit outside the church, and it is dope. They put down like 7,000 pounds of rock. They put up like the lights and the wood beams. So last night was the first night that our student ministry used the fire pit. So yesterday was just, it was a chill day. 
except for the weather. The weather was not chill. But other than that, it was a really, really chill day. Well, guys, I'm glad you all had great weekends. Uh, but I was down by like two thirds yesterday, <laughs> so I was not worried about moving chairs into the sanctuary. If anything, I could have got rid of some and made it feel more full. Uh, yeah, man, I don't know. Y'all Elmar, got the flu, you, right? Y'all, Elmar, y'all you hit... said you said a bug hit the south. Oh, a bug has hit this church. Yeah, we yeah. Have, I've got the flu in my house. Uh, I don't have it finally, but my daughter had it, which means my wife and my other daughter stayed home with her, mm-hmm. and then we had like our entire children's ministry. I think a bunch of kids were sick. A bunch of people were traveling. So for a church of around 50 people, when you have a chunk of people like that missing, you know, you you really notice it. But the cool part about this weekend is uh, in my denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we uh, once a year we do at least once a year we have to do a missions emphasis weekend. And so the national office will reach out to you and say, hey, here's the missionary that's coming uh, we call them international workers, but here's the missionary that's traveling. Here's the date they're going to be at your church. And so we had a uh, international worker from Japan, uh, which is pretty cool. Last year we had one from Paris. So we uh, what we did this year is we did a, uh, a dinner out on Friday night. So people came to that. And then on Saturday, people could sign up to take her out to either lunch or dinner. And so uh, people did that. And then on Sunday... Uh, she took like the main teaching spot and shared about what what's going on with her ministry in Japan. She's part of a church planting team, uh, and so that that was pretty cool to be a part of and pretty cool to see. And uh, we did get we did get one person who was new fill out a connect card, so that's a win for a small church to get that. So we got some info, uh, but yeah, I mean, people being gone, you know, it is what it is, and you just move on to next week. But something that we all are looking forward to that uh, Andrew kind of touched on by talking about February is the Practically Pastoring Conference, practicallypastoringconference.com. Registration is open. Uh, We're excited about it. Tim, your place is looking fresh, looking new, so we're excited about that as far as the venue. It's fresh. It's ready to go. We're ready to welcome all of you weary pastors from around the land in hopes for a time of refreshment, enjoyment, and encouragement with with your friends. And learning. I mean, (laughs) lots of learning. I had great... I have to say, last year, the best conversations I had as far as, like, practical knowledge uh, was, I, I think his name's Tom, if I remember right. If I'm saying your name wrong and you yep. remember and I'm offensive now, I apologize. But, man, he really was sharing some things with me about fundraising and budgets. And I was like, man, I really, this was great. And so, uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff. And none of those conversations were happening in, like, a in a formal setting. And this was just, no, like, not when, at all. when he and I were standing around talking. Who so is it? Forgive me if I'm wrong, but who is the guy? I'm really bad with names, but he is like the executive pastor over a larger church, multi-campus. Yeah. Who's who? I, I think you uh, and I ate barbecue with him on the man, table, right? He shared stuff with me. And I'm going to tell you, if, if you're listening right now, the advice you gave me has really dictated a lot of my current life. And that came from my time shark fishing at a at practically pastoring conference. Yeah. So. Looking forward to it. You definitely want to sign up. And uh, February 20th to the 22nd, to tell you how committed I am to this, February 22nd is my wife's birthday, but I'm going to be at the conference because you know Mm. what? She has a birthday every year, and I can celebrate it with her whenever I want, Mm. roughly around her birthday. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Amy, I love you. But (laughs) practicallypastoryconference.com, register now. It's going to be a great time. That was yikes. Let's move on. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back to have our main discussion. 
All right, guys. So you guys know, because I told everybody over the last couple of weeks, I was sick for a long time. And I saw an article today when I was looking at what we were going to talk about uh, from the Gospel Coalition. And the title is, Am I Resting or Just Being Lazy? Uh, this article actually came out today, the day we're recording, November 7th. And man, when I saw the when I when I saw the article, it really hit me because I struggled with that while I was sick. Now, yes, I was sick, but you you guys know how it is. I mean, we're red blooded American men. We're taught you need to push through, you need to just get over it. And so I really struggled during that. Uh, like how how come I can't just you know push through this and be productive? And so what do you what what did you guys think about this idea of like rest versus laziness? I can Other procrastinate and binge TV shows and mindlessly scroll social media like anyone else. Oh, for Ouch. sure. Ouch. That's all I got to say. Like, I, I read that line there. I'm like, ow, that, that did not feel good. Am I, am I bent towards laziness? Mm. I think I am. Like, I, I honestly do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, if you were to come to me and say, hey, listen, on your rest day, do not want, turn on anything with a screen. Like, on a one to ten, what kind of anxiety would that give you? I'm, I, yeah, which is not a good sign. It's a bad feel, sign, right? Yeah, I think a lot of pastors, if we're honest with ourselves, I'm being honest with y'all and me. Like that gives that's higher up on my numbers than it should be, you know. And and I was super tempted with this this weekend because the last three Saturdays in a row I've had weddings to film. So this past week was the first day in like 20 something days it's not normal but this is wedding season so um but this past saturday i had off and i was like i am so dead right now and i laid in the house and finally at the end of the day it did i got super convicted because i had been lazy and i have this um outdoor shed thing that needs to go in my backyard so literally the sun's about to go down. I was like, no, I have to at least accomplish one thing today. So I went out there and moved my outdoor shed, but not after feeling like I just completely wasted the entire day. And that's why this article is so convicting because one of the points it makes is that, you know, it should refresh you. And how many days have I sat in front of my TV and the next day I am just, have any of you ever done that? The next day you're just equally as tired. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like when you take a long trip, like in a car, like that's what you're doing. You're sitting on a couch for a long time, eating junk food, probably. It's like being on a long car ride. The next day, you're not rested, or I'm not, you know. Another line think- that jumped out at me, <laughs> if our rest makes us feel less motivated, less inspired, and less inclined to get back to work, it's probably a signal we've succumbed to laziness. There's a oh, lot man. of good one-liners in here. Yeah, it, it, laziness has a way of perpetuating itself, man. I mean... Gosh, I can't tell you how many times it, once I read this article, I've thought uh, that I've thought about like my inner thoughts and how often I see something like right now my backyard needs to be mowed, and I for the last like four days I've I'm feeling I've been feeling fine from the flu for like a week now, and the last like four days I've looked at it and been like eh I'll do it later, yeah. and I'm just like man there it is it's like that laziness and then now I'm starting to wonder like. Am I doing that with like my, you know, my responsibilities as a dad or in my ministry, like things that need to get done, like, you know, this time of year budgets, that's just something I really don't want to deal with. I don't want to do. So it's kind of like I'm having that attitude of like, ah, I'll do it later. And it's like, that's not resting for me. That's just me being lazy and not wanting to do it. But it's so hard because we're so discipled by our kind of consumerist culture 
that like you know there's the whole like no days off you know hashtag no days off thing with you know all the entrepreneur guys you see all over rise and grind yeah you can never take a day off and it's like that's not biblical either so it's a difficult one it's a difficult one for sure you know for me i'm not perfect at this at all one thing i i always one of the things you talked about is having a rhythm on your rest day so one of the things that i generally uh 85 to 90 percent of my rest days my wife's not home my kids are just chilling one of the things i make a goal to do is i clean the house and and that is when you have three kids and millions of legos that's an event but for me, it's like it, it, when I get up before lunch, I clean it because it does exactly what this article says. It like gets us moving. So at least I know that whatever I did on my rest day, my family's going to benefit from it. And like, there is a feeling of I accomplished something, even if by 10, you know, 8 p.m. It looks back the same way it was. At least I did the thing. And I don't know. Do you guys have any type of rhythms that you put into your rest day? Well, Delmar, would you say you practice the rhythm method regularly? Uh, is that a uh, – Sorry. Yeah, I don't know where that's going. <laughs> I'm afraid to answer, but I do practice. But, you know, it's the same way. Can, can we can we go ahead and, and, and take it out of just like when you're at home? It's I would say that that rest is pandemic to anything that you're doing. You know, for example – um, I do do videography and there's seasons where I'll have three, four weddings a month. And then there's seasons where I have one, right. Or none. And what I have to make, what I have to realize is I still need to get out and drone something, right? Like I still need to get out and create something because if you just quit, what happens to that desire to be creative? What happens to that desire? And I think it works that way with, with anything, not just necessarily for your pastor duties. You know, like you have to have a rhythm. You have to have some outlets that fill you back up because a rest shouldn't leave you empty. It should leave you full. And I have done plenty of rest where I got on the end of it. I'm like, gosh, I'm just dead. I, th- I think all of us came up in a certain era of the church where every conference we went to, there mm-hmm. was a big name speaker who was, uh, you know, ha- had at least the gray in the uh, temples, if not the whole head of gray, who had that story of how hard he had worked in the 80s and then in the 90s. And the whole message was don't be that workaholic, don't lose your family, don't do this. And so when we were 22, 25, 30 years old, the, the talks that we got from the best speakers that we heard all year was you need to rest, you need to rest, you need to rest. When that talk might have been great for that generation of our dads and uncles, but at least for me, the talk that I needed was, dude, you are prone to laziness, mm. and mm-hmm. you have grown up in an era where so many things have been automated for you and work smarter, not harder. And the talk that I needed was you are a steward of what God has entrusted to you. So, you know, your your rest will come, but make sure that you do the work that God has called you to. And I think we're starting to see as maybe a, a new generation of, of leaders is coming up that we're starting to see that there's this, this balance shift of, okay, let's talk about the elephant in the room because there are some lazy pastors out there that are glorifying laziness to call it rest. And it is, we were just talking about something political that we didn't put on the show, but we were saying how easy it is to spin something and to over-spiritualize something. 
it is so easy for me to over spiritualize my laziness. It is mm-hmm. easy for me to over spiritualize my gluttony. Um, you know what is the the verse in James? Um, oh. I'm going to mess it up, but, you know, wherever you found, find selfish ambition and vain conceit, there's the root of all of all sin. Every sin in my life is can be traced back to my selfishness, thus my laziness. Mm. It's whenever I think I shouldn't be doing what somebody else should be doing or what I should be doing, that's when I get myself in trouble. Constantly. There was actually there was actually a book written called Men of Courage. I don't know if you all have heard it. It's a really good, like, men's group book. But he goes in and he he identifies one of the core sins of men is passivity, is being passive. And he, he literally picks dozens of biblical characters. Look at Adam standing beside his wife in the garden, being passive. Look at David, supposed to be out at war, but being back home, being passive. And he goes through all these men, and it's, it's hyper-convicting because there's many times when we can be present, but we're being passive. And, and I would apply that to our rest as well, right? Like rest is a, is a verb, right? So it's something that we're active in doing. It's not something that happens to us on accident. Um, we, have to, we have to make sure that we are taking a biblical rest because what Andrew just said, man, you nailed it. Millennials are not necessarily known as the most hyper work ethic group of humans ever made. Right. So we need to hear that message of, listen, everything is activity. Even rest is a form of activity and we need to not be lazy in it. Even the author of this, it looks like it looks like she herself probably grew up in this era. Andrew, So, like I think you saying what you said about, hey, some of the big talks that we heard in ministry growing up were about don't burn out. Make sure you're resting. So then we all of a sudden swung the pendulum really hard on the other side. So I'm really thankful for articles like this from Amy and others who are saying, hang on, there, there needs to be balance here because we have been called to work as well as rest and rest should look like rest and not laziness. It's really and, good. and can I say, you know, one of the things I think is really important is that when we're working, we make sure that it's work because I don't know which one of you guys just said it. We can hyper spiritualize anything. And there have been times when it's so easy to say, oh, I'm working. No, if we're really honest right now, you're phoning it in because you you know what the bare minimum is. So you're doing it. You're taking your time on it, whatever. But you're not you know, there's other things that would benefit your congregation that God's placed you over. But instead, we're just doing the bare minimum, getting by phoning it in. So like even even when it comes to the the work that we do making sure that it in itself isn't lazy because you can have lazy work, right? Like that is totally possible to have lazy work. It's like when I asked my five-year-old to clean the room and, oh, that'll take too long. Y'all never get that. I'm sure. Right. And then like 30 minutes later, he's just sitting in a pile of Legos. Oh, I tried. And it's like, no, you've been lazy working for 30 minutes. This is a five minute job. I think uh, as we're having this discussion, a couple things popped into my head. Um, I was going to say exactly what you said, Andrew. Like, I'm so good at uh, especially, like, over-spiritualizing other people's what I decided is lazy. Mm. And, like, you know, uh, you know, you should work harder and you should be a better manager of your time. Meanwhile, in the evening, you know, I can just scroll on Instagram for half an hour, an hour, without really realizing it. While I have the TV on, watching, like, you know... Uh, like Andrew, you asked, did you guys, you know, use that extra hour 
that you got to uh, do anything wise. And no, I didn't. I stayed up later to watch the the end of the World uh, Series. I mean, that, that but, was Dell, but I'll take full credit for it. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, I was watching the end of the World Series, which you know, I was sad that the Astros won. But um, you know, and scrolling on my phone, so it's like I can so justify that, you know, because I, you know, I need time, I need to rest too, and, and it's so easy. But then. You know, I was reminded of, I think it's John Mark Comer's book about hurry. And one of the things I appreciated, either in that book or a talk he gave, was that he did bring it back to, you know, in the rhythm of creation, it's work six days and rest one day. So Mm -hmm. some of us need to be reminded to rest, but others of us need to be reminded, like, you're supposed to work, too. God gives you work to do. He did, You know, you're not supposed to work until you burn out, but there is work to do. And I remember... Um, as we're having this conversation, I remember this conversation I had when I was very first in ministry and back in Orlando and I was leading worship and I was overseeing student ministry and both were, you know, I was assigned half time for both of those. And I went to, uh, one of our, uh, other staff members, older lady, who very wise, kind of like the mother of the staff sort of role. She had been there a long time. And I said, man, I just, I'm just nervous that I'm going to burn out. And she just looked at me and said, well, just don't overdo it. Just be wise with your time. Do your job that we've asked you to do half time of each thing. You know, you're getting paid 40 hours a week, 20 for youth ministry, 24 uh, worship ministry. Just don't overdo it and you won't burn out. And, you know, that was just a good reminder. Like that's don't use that as an excuse. But what I wanted to ask you guys about specifically as like leading a church, um, how how do you think this plays out? How do you what do you think our role is as pastors and and even, you know, in some of our uh, structures as elders as well? um, How do you think we guard from our church being a place where people feel like they can't rest? You know what I'm saying? Like we. Mm -hmm. Where we, how, how do you guard against watching your people do too much stuff out of some kind of weird guilt? Or how do you help people not be lazy in terms of how they engage with serving in the church? What gets celebrated gets duplicated. You celebrate who's doing the rest thing well. You celebrate who's doing the work thing well. And you spend more time discipling from a positive viewpoint, hey, that was great way to set the example for this, than you do trying to smack somebody over the head, trying to get them to become more like somebody else. Mm. Yeah, I think for us, one of the things that I'm trying to watch out for is like me being overly prone to say yes to people's ideas about like events we should do, you know, like too many outreach events to where it's just now it's just busy work and it's like affecting people's discipleship and their ability to rest well. So that's just something I, you know, when I, when I read this article, I was thinking like, how does this apply as we lead other people spiritually? Del. Yeah. Well, also one of the things that I have found that kind of hurts rest is in the same vein of what you guys were just saying, having too many things, but sometimes I found you get better work if there's less. Right, Because we can stack the calendar so much that nothing really gets done well. Nothing really gets communicated right. effectively. We end up spreading our volunteers out so much that everything's halfway done before it's over with. People aren't really as excited anymore. It's better to have fewer things and do them well. I know 
just a really good example from where I'm at right now in the family ministries. Uh, you know, it's typical church. You do Christmas gatherings, right? And in the past, we would have a Christmas gathering for family ministry or whatever on a Saturday. And then Sunday, we have church. Well, this year, it was, no, what we're going to do this year, we're not going to multiply, especially during the holidays. That's really not kind because there's so many other things competing for your time. Our Christmas gathering is going to be one event on a Sunday night out in the country. And it's not just for students and kids. It's for the entire families. Everybody comes. It's done well. It's planned well. There's more people there to serve. And it, and then we leave. So that way, it's not like just this repetition of lots of little events. You do less events. You get more productive, more um, fine-tuned work. And there's a better sense of accomplishment because it was done better. Yeah, I would agree with that, Dell. I think growing up in the era of church culture that I grew up in, it was kind of just this expectation that you're always at the church, right? Like anytime Sunday the doors morning, are open, I'm there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night youth group, Thursday night choir practice. Like it was just that expectation that hey, the the more uh, events on the church calendar, the healthier the church is, and the healthier the body of Christ is. Well, we we learned the hard way that 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 just didn't pan out all that well. So I, I would agree with your sentiment, Dell. That and this is something we've tried to do as a church staff is we've tried to identify what are the three or four key church-wide events that we love, that we know our people love, that we know are going to be great for our community. Let's hone in on those. Let's do those really well. And then if there are some smaller pockets, like maybe a women's Bible study or a men's ministry thing here and there that, you know, a small group of people will be open to doing, we're all for that, but it's not going to be a giant church-wide push. It's going to be, you know, that home group's going to kind of lead us something and we're, we're okay with that. But we have been cognizant of, okay, let's not keep adding to the church calendar. Let's, Let's make sure we're doing what we're doing well before we even think about putting something else on there. And if you're transitioning from that like culture in the past, you were talking about Tim to trying to be more intentional. It can be hard because people, when you say no, people feel people can feel really like jaded and outed by that. Like, well, why don't why isn't my thing important? Um, I was going to ask too. Do you guys have any kind of? I, I know this just happens naturally, but is there any sort of period of time? in your church's yearly sort of calendar that you intentionally have less things hmm. or does it just kind of happen organically for us? It's summer. We, we, we cut back in summer. A lot of our home groups don't do regular meetings in the summer. We typically have fewer events in the summer and we're also, I mean, we're snowbird territory. So we, we yeah. usually have less people at church in the summer months anyway. So it makes sense for us to do that. Hmm. Yeah, for us, I think in the now that the time has changed and it's sort of the winter time, um, we can't do evening events as much because uh, there's a lot of people who won't drive after dark, especially older folks. And I mean, it's going to be dark at like five fifteen, uh, so that really puts a you know puts a stop to a lot of the sort of evening Bible study type things you might do. So from now until like the spring, some of that stuff will sort of take a backseat. I'm still learning the rhythm of my new church because, you know, I've only been here two little over two months, but what I have seen is that the summer, uh, the programming really becomes more, I don't know what you would call it less formal. You know what I'm saying? So like the school, the, during the school year, um, with all ministries, it's a lot more formalized from groups to gatherings to everything in the summer. It's like, we still will gather, but it's a lot less formalized. Like we're going to gather at someone's house this week, or we're going to gather over here. And I think that does it, it, 
it allows for some ministry to keep happening, but not necessarily taking a toll on its people as much. Good we stuff. also ramp up more than saying, hey, something's going to slow down. Um, you know, this time of year, we, we've kind of said we're going to start ramping up specifically like our post-church fellowship hall time, which we talk about all the time, how it's what one of the things that our church does really well. But this time of year when we know people's schedules are getting busier and, hey, we're probably not going to be able to say let's do a big event you know, for here. You know, People are going to be traveling. People have got Christmas plans. So let's ramp it up. And the same effect of having a separate event on a Tuesday night, we can have in a half an hour after church on Sunday morning. So why don't we just make that more irresistible or as irresistible as we can and get our people to commit to the one thing instead of getting them to commit to two or three things? And that's been hugely impactful for us. That's when you make the cinnamon rolls, right? Dude. Speaking of irresistible. So, you know, we did the pancakes in the park on Saturday morning, and I had bought six dozen eggs or something like that to make at the pancakes in the park event. And there was, an, there were 18 pre-scrambled eggs. You know, you get them, you scramble them. You get, my wife has that little thing from the pampered chef that holds up the Ziploc bag so you can pour stuff into it on the counter without making a mess. Nice. So I had a pre-mixed bag of 18 eggs that did not get used at Pancakes in the Park. And so I said amen, and I ran back to the kitchen after I was done preaching yesterday, and I fired that up. And by the time the line was really getting going, we I had the big old plate full of brand-new fluffy eggs out there. Dude, and skills. I, I was feeding my people physically and spiritually. It there was it great. <laughs> it was awesome. And let me tell you, the first thing gone off off of our pretty massive uh, buffet spread yesterday was those eggs, and I was very proud of that. Nice. Well, one more quick fire discussion we want to have, and it you know it kind of piggybacks off of being able to take rest. For those of us that preach every week, that can be pretty taxing, uh, and so being able to rest from that is really important, but. Really, the reason I thought of this question uh, was one of my favorite things about the Practically Pastoring Conference last year was we did this thing where we would sit around the table and there were sort of like discussion starter cards in the middle of the table, and we would pick up a card and just sort of talk about best practices for that. Uh, and so, yes, I'm also making a plug for the conference, February 20th to the 22nd, practicallypastoringconference.com. Register now. These are the kind of conversations you can uh, expect to have. But I thought uh, this was a good question. How do you guys, or if you've been on the other side of this where you were developed, how do you go about developing more preacher teachers? And I'm specifically talking about who can take a sermon slot on Sunday morning. How do you go about developing more of them in your church? Do you have a formal process? Is it more informal? Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts just on best practices for developing more of a preaching team in your church? Or what was done when you were developed as a preacher? I think you cast vision to your church because the way that you develop skilled preachers is by letting unskilled preachers preach until they become skilled preachers. And so for for us, one of the things, you know, Dylan, who's no longer on our staff because he's got a baby being born here in like two days. So if you what? see Dylan, say, say hey to him. But when he was starting off, one of the things that I said to our church is, you know, we, we are a little church. We're never going to become a huge church unless we sell our building and move elsewhere. And so that means that the, you know, the, the third and fourth spot on our hierarchy are not going to be people that are experienced. We're going to be the ones that give them that experience. And so I said, you know, one of our 
jobs as a church, one of the things that we can provide to the church at large is that we are a teaching hospital. We are going to give young and inexperienced people the opportunity to grow in their skills and in their experience. And a ministry that we have as a church, an opportunity that we have that maybe one of the big boys down the street doesn't have, is that we get to train somebody up. And so it was just a truthful, hey, hey church, um, we're going to let someone preach who has never preached before. We don't you know. Who knows what that's going to be like? And so, yes, there's the we're going to go over the outline together and we're going to talk best practices and we might record it and, and make them sit with me and watch it. But we also need to have a church that is on board with to have someone learn to preach. They have to be preaching. And so that's something that we get to participate in. It's a ministry that we get. So to you have just stood up as like, hey, church, you might hear a bad sermon once in a while. It, it wasn't quite like, not, not quite like that, but it, but it was a, hey, this is one of the things that we get to do is we get to raise up leaders for the church. And the way that that happens is this. And here's what that looks like. Yeah, a couple things my way that I, we've seen is, first of all, the people who come and tell you, hey, I want to preach. Okay. You first find out where that's coming from, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's because they have something they want to say instead of, hey, I feel like I'm being called to say something from Scripture, <laughs> you know? So, but what I do is I do try to identify those spiritually mature and give them the option, the opportunity to speak. And what Andrew said is true. I sit down with him, go through the manuscript. I actually put a little like four session meeting thing together. So if you want to preach, okay, cool. You're going to meet with me four times. I'm going to tell you about hermeneutics, homiletics, exposition, everything. And if they're unwilling to meet with me four times, then they really don't want to preach because that's a pretty low barrier. Um, because the way I see yeah. it is, oh, so I got cut off there. Uh, we thought the rapture happened. I oh, was, no. I was where, listening for the trumpet. Oh, uh, where did you, you lose me? Up? No. You, you were in the middle of, I really don't want to. Oh, yeah. I really don't want to put someone in the pulpit who's unprepared, right? I want to be able to teach them. And if they're unwilling to meet four times, then they really don't want to preach. And also, because it is preaching, I also look at it as how great an opportunity that a church has been given, that us as pastors have been given to allow someone else to speak. Like that is, that's a, a holy thing that we would, that God would give us. I don't want to call it gatekeeping, but like to preach the word, you need to make sure there's standards, right? But what a great opportunity he's given us to empower people to do this. So they do. They sit down with me four times. We go through it. Then they write their their transcript manuscript. We come back. Then they preach it. Then we sit down after it and we kind of go through, okay, how did this go? Because if we're going to just cut people loose and let them preach for me, that can easily fall into the category of being lazy. But to take it back to our other conversation, if I say, no, God has providentially brought this person to speak and has put them in my charge, I'm not going to be lazy about them preaching. I'm going to, I may take that Sunday and be opportunity to rest from having to write the manuscript, but I'm doing a lot of work in this thing as well. It's just, my work is different. Instead of preparing the sermon it's preparing someone else to prepare the sermon. So maybe this is an area that I really need to grow in, but I don't have anybody coming to me that's wanting to preach. Like not even my elders, like no one's coming saying, man, I really, I really, I've got this message on my heart. Like, honestly, when I need a break, I'm almost begging 
Hmm. Like I'm, I'm reaching out to an elder. I'm reaching out to my dad. I'm reaching out to a missionary saying, Hey, I, I'm tired. I, I, I could, I could really use a Sunday off. How many Sundays the, a, a year do you think you're preaching Tim? Way more than I used to. Like the, these last two years, I've preached more Sundays than I ever have so in like the past. I, over 45. Yeah. 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 yeah which is not healthy for me. I, I, I would, for me, it's every, every six to eight weeks I can feel it. So like this, Yesterday, after I preached that second service, I felt it and I thought, okay, yep, I can, like, in my soul, could sense it's time for me to take a break. Thankfully, my dad is preaching in uh, two weeks. He's preaching on the on the 20th. So that'll be a, a nice break for me because it's also a big school week for me. So I can get okay. a lot done school wise. But to, to go back to this point, th- this might be an area where we at Lakeview Church need to develop and need to be intentional about because we do have maybe some very gifted communicators. I, I don't know if we have any skilled preachers, but maybe some who'd be open to learning and growing. I would love to sit down with, with some, with some young guys and walk them through this, but I'll just be it's honest. It's the most rewarding thing, Tim. Yeah. Like I did that when I was at my previous church, like five years ago, I found this student. I'm like, he's it. Like he's going to be running some seminary or some university somewhere. He's, you know, so I started teaching him. Then he preached and here's what's really cool. His parents now come to the church I'm at now. And in January, he's at, he's at Southern Seminary now. He's coming back to preach January 1st at, at our new church. And there's like this longevity in fruit, you know, because it's like you, like I said, I feel like this young man's going to be a really great communicator. So to play any formative part in that, it's humbling. It's really humbling because, you know, I guess you... My, my argument here is, but should it start on a Sunday morning? Like, should we not say, hey, why don't you lead? You know what? We got men's prayer breakfast. Sure. There's a 10 minute, there's a 10 minute slot. Let's start there. Well, and there's like, other things me, on like, a Sunday morning that, sure. can have, that can show you communication skills, too, like communion meditation, lead Absolutely. a prayer moment, lead a missions moment. Honestly, the announcements. Like, yeah. Announcements. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> OK, so part of it for me is seeing someone's willingness to do something other than that preaching moment there you go right now i i personally as the senior pastor have not had anyone come to me and say hey i want to preach but when i was a student pastor um there was a guy in our church who was constantly badgering the senior pastor because he wanted to preach which was a major red flag and the pastor was pretty reluctant to let him preach and one of the things i saw the pastor do that i have now tried to do is um, is that he really involved the elders in that conversation. Like, hey, this person really is asking me to preach. How are you guys feeling about this? Which is a, you know, trusting that your elders are hearing from the Spirit as well. And sort of also modeling like, hey, guys, you know, you're an elder. I'm viewing you as like an equal for discernment here. So uh, that means you need to be hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit as you're praying and thinking about our church. And do you know this person? What do you think about and so, yeah, I would agree. There's other op- there's other places you can give people a chance to exercise communication skills that isn't necessarily first thing you're doing is preaching. Now, having said that, I was given opportunity when I was not even close to ready. Uh, I was given an opportunity on Palm Sunday one year to preach. I was supposed to take 30, 35 minutes, and I thought I was going to, and I took like 18 minutes, and it was terrible. Um, so grateful for that, and it's like you – we live in this tension when you're doing, when you're trying to develop somebody of like, you don't want them to crash and burn number one, because 
you want to keep some level of like excellence in the teaching. You also don't want them to feel like a complete failure and never want to do it again. But you have to make space for the fact that no, I mean nobody's first sermon is good. It's right? kind of like I mean unless you're that, that unless you're Peter Pentecost, but yeah, you know it's like you you want Andy Dalton. You don't want I don't know pick a terrible backup quarterback. You want someone who the the congregation is not going to say oh you should be our everyday preacher after the first sermon. We don't <laughs> we don't want that. But at the same time, we don't want someone to be like oh wow that was terrible. Well, and you also have to, you know, for that guy, you know, maybe that youth pastor gets his first chance to preach and I mean, he kills it. It's like you also like he has to know like, well, yeah, it's easy to do that when you preach once a year. When you yeah, have but three, every when you week have three is a different animal. three months to prepare for the same sermon. Right. So like part of this for me is over the last month, I've only preached once out of the last four Sundays. Is, it, is this what like campus pastor is like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just get so, some biscuits. One is I was on vacation, then I was sick, then I preached, and then this Sunday a missionary was there. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, I've had this experience now of like I didn't preach three out of four Sundays, and, you know, it, it was okay. Um, and so I think developing preachers, for me, it's like it's it's less about the guy that comes and says, hey, I want to preach. For me, my experience has been more being around – like there's one elder I'm thinking of who – for like two years, I've been bugging him, not bugging him, but talking to him about being an elder. And in the last conversation I had with him like a month or two ago, he finally was like, you know what? Uh, you know, I really feel like God is maybe calling me and I and I'm, I, I do want to help lead and I love this people. And in that conversation, I said, you know, Jim, I, I, I've heard you, you know, talking to people about the scriptures. W- would you consider teaching on a Sunday morning? He said, you know, I, I really, yeah. I, I. So for me, it's been like encouraging people that I've seen teaching in less formal settings to think about, hey, there might be space for you to do that, and really trying to communicate, like you said, Andrew, to the church and to that person, it's good for a church to have multiple voices. You know, it's a good thing for us to hear from, uh, yeah, there's going to be a main preacher, but it's good for us to hear from more than just one person 100% of the time. So, I don't have a formal process. I would love to, you know, develop one. I think that could be helpful, at least as a framework to say, hey, here's how we go through this process of you becoming a preacher. But I just was just interested to know what you guys do. If you're listening to this and you're in our Facebook group, uh, if you're listening and you're not in our Facebook group, you need to get in that Facebook group. But if you're in it, uh, man, shoot a post up and let us know. Do you have a process? We'd love to interact on that. Um, And just as we wrap up, just a reminder, you know, this was a great conversation. These kind of these are the kind of conversations we have around the table at the conference. So February twentieth to the twenty second, practicallypastoringconference.com. Registration is open. Guys, great conversation today. Uh, really glad we got to be together. Frank, hope your day went well, and uh, we will be back next week to have another good conversation. So as we sign off, I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson, and I'm Timothy Miller. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.